1: For the next two weeks, to give our team a little time to catch up and rest over the holidays, we are going to be revisiting two favorite episodes from 2021. Today, the first one, was the instant answer when we pulled our Genius Podcast team, Cora Lee, Amy Schuster, Emily Hanhan, and myself, for our own favorite episode of the year. For one thing, it is what I dream of when I'm on a Genius Recipe hunt. A simple trick that will forever change the way that I, and hopefully you, cook, found in an overlooked place. I stumbled on this trick on a blog post from over a decade ago, from YouTube star Mark Matsumoto's long-running food blog, No Recipes. But I think our team also loved this episode because we tried out a somewhat ambitious new format, digging deeper into the moments in Mark's life and career that unexpectedly led him to this technique and how it was already starting to make waves in my own cooking over 10 years later. I hope you enjoy learning more about mark and mushrooms and umami science, and that you let us know what you think of this storytelling style at geniusfood 52com I also want to wish you a safe, happy holiday, and I will talk to you next week when we will be looking back at the most popular episode of the year. I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For almost a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. And we get to hear from you. This week, we're trying something a little bit different. Instead of a straight-up Q&A with Mark Matsumoto, the founder of the long-running food blog and YouTube channel No Recipes, and the genius behind this week's recipe on Food52, I wanted to take you along with me. First, as I stumbled on Mark's brilliant one-ingredient trick for making any salmon dinner more delicious, and frankly, just about anything more delicious, even vanilla ice cream. And then, with you still riding along in my kangaroo pouch or sidecar or whatever feels right to you, together, we'll get to hear more from Mark about what led him to this point of coming up with this move in the kitchen that may now feel second nature to him, but stands to make a whole lot of people feel like they just got a whole lot better at cooking fish. In one swipe. That's a clue. Our podcast boss, Coral Lee, and I are having fun experimenting with this new storytelling format, and we would love to hear what you think about it at geniusfood 52com But for now, onto the story. Buckle up, hop in the pouch, and let's go. So back in April, I was perilously close to the deadline for the Genius Beginners Cookbook that I've been working on for three years, and still hunting for a few last missing puzzle pieces. Things like the most forgiving way to fry an egg, quick pantry pasta sauces that I could explain in 100 words or fewer, and desserts that require no special equipment whatsoever. I also wanted a few simple ways to judge up my favorite basic slow-roasted salmon method from Sally Schneider, and I got lucky. While most of the recipes that I saw out there were sprinkled with herb sprigs or wheels of lemon or lime, the pink slab of salmon on NoRecipes.com was covered with something that I had never seen before. A heavy blanket of powdery, dried shiitake mushroom, with a microplane grater resting nearby. Clearly, the mushrooms had not been pre-soaked, or pulverized in a spice grinder, or bought already powdered at a fancy specialty food store. They also didn't even look like they required a recipe. All levels of planning that I assumed I would need to make the most of dried mushrooms well-known but seemingly inaccessible umami and deliciousness. No, they had been grated as casually as you'd sprinkle cheese over a bowl of pasta or lemon zest into a cake. This meant that without having to run to the store or do much thinking at all, I pulled out one of the lonely dried shiitakes that I had left over from some other recipe months ago, plus a hunk of arctic char out of the freezer. I was sure that the shiitake would be brittle and crumbly, but it grated beautifully, just like Parmesan cheese, with tiny little curls falling from my microplane like a thick flurry of snow. The slow roasted fish was outstanding, but it didn't taste mushroomy. So I wondered if I had just happened to season and cook my fish really well, and felt cautiously proud of myself. So to be sure, the next time I cooked salmon, I only coated half in the shiitake snow, and the difference was profound. The no shiitake snow side tasted perfectly fine if a little bit flat and reserved like healthy food that I should eat, but not have strong feelings for. The shiitake side tasted, again, not notably mushroomy, but like the salmon was the best quality salmon perfectly seasoned by a very confident intuitive cook, which when it comes to seafood, I am not. So I had a lot of questions for Mark how exactly does this trick make salmon so good so instantly? Where else could we be using it? How has this been on norecipes.com since the late aughts without getting everyone to start grating mushrooms over everything? For starters, the internet was a very different place when Mark started his career, not as a blogger, in the first dot-com bust years.
0: As a kid, I was kind of a geek and loved video games and kind of got into tech through that. And Um, I grew up in Napa, um, which is not too far from Silicon Valley. So, you know, as the dot-com boom of the 90s was kind of blowing up, it was kind of this thing that I wanted to join. So after I graduated college, I moved down there and worked at several internet startups, uh, one of which was Netflix. And uh, we were like this little tiny DVD rental company that no one had ever heard of, and You know, people were like, why would I want to order DVDs online if I could just go to Blockbuster and pick it up? Um, And, you know, we we all know how that turned out.
1: And it wasn't just Netflix where Mark was an early adopter. When he was still in middle school, he'd started a computer consulting business. He made his own local bulletin board system, or BBS, which was a non-networked precursor to the Internet. So generally, Mark was always in the first wave of anything Internet. So it's no surprise that he became a food blogger before anyone really knew that food blogger was a job that you could have. And he did it almost by accident.
0: So when I moved to New York, I had this little tiny shoebox apartment in downtown Manhattan, and uh, I'd invite over coworkers and get them to bring friends over. And, you know, I'd make a pasta dish or something and, you know, they'd be like, Oh, how did you make that? And my answer was always, I don't use recipes. And that's actually where the name for the food blog came from, No Recipes.
1: But pretty soon, Mark realized that more people were looking at his blog than just him and his dinner party guests. And then a lot more people.
0: Originally, it was kind of um, notes to myself, so I Mm. didn't write a lot of quantities. I had the ingredients and the process written down. Um, But then I quickly realized the people, you know, my friends that were reading it, they're like, I can't make this because I don't know how much of this and that to add. So, um, you know, Really, a lot of my friends are sort of uh, beginners in the kitchen and um, writing recipes for beginners, you quickly learn that you need to be very detailed. Um, And over the years, my blog has really gone from, you know, sort of my own personal food journey to helping people pursue their own food journeys. Um, And I believe the way to do that is to teach them techniques. Um, A lot of recipes these days are kind of like an IKEA manual. They'll teach you how to make a very specific desk or in the case of a recipe, a very specific dish, but it won't turn you into a carpenter. It won't turn you into a chef. And uh, I think the underlying things that you need to know is like having a tool chest of techniques, whether it's, you know, browning onions or, uh, you know, drying fish before you fry it to get the skin crisp. Um, These are things that are obvious for somebody that, you know, has been in the kitchen for a while, but for somebody who's just starting, um, they may not know that. So, you know, these are the little details that I try to, to not only uh, tell people they need to do, but also explain why you need to do it. Because, um, you know, kind of my background is is in, is in science and tech, and I hate doing something that somebody tells me to do without knowing why I have to do it. So uh-huh. I always try to explain the why behind, you know, you're browning onions because of the Maillard reaction, which... Um, takes, you know, reducing sugars and amino acids and creates new flavor compounds. Um, and that this is what gives your dish more depth and more umami, um, you know, things like that to, to just kind of explain why you need to take this extra step.
1: And while he's even more explicit about the whys and the hows behind recipes now, in both his writing on no recipes and in his highly produced educational YouTube videos, when he wrote about this salmon trick in his blog early days, the framework of the technique was there just in a simpler form.
0: Uh, I was a little bit embarrassed by the quality of the photos, to be honest. Um, I think uh, I've, I've sort of elevated uh, the level of, um, of the photography on the site, definitely. Um, and I, I'm definitely providing a lot more details than I used to. My post used to be much shorter. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the technique and the recipe, uh, you know, I, mean, I think it's solid to this day. And it's something that I still use. So... Um, so, you know, I, I was happy to see that that somebody's still finding value out of uh, something I published so long ago. I mean, that was 12 years ago.
1: Hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying learning from Mark as much as I did, don't worry. He'll be back right after the break. And in the meantime, you can head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. Like my recent conversation with Toni Tipton Martin about her quest to connect real life role models with young Black aspiring food writers so they can inspire the next generation. In the second half of the episode, Mark tells us how, exactly scientifically, mushrooms can work their magic so quickly, and how it has a lot to do with breast milk.
2: Really. Stay tuned.
1: Before Mark shared it to his quickly growing blog, how did he start turning to dried shiitakes to season his cooking as intuitively as if he was reaching for salt?
0: Growing up, um, I actually learned how to cook for my mom. She used to teach Japanese cooking classes uh, to um, Americans in San Francisco. And um, so, I mean, I was in the kitchen from when I was like four or five years old. Um, and, you know, one of the sort of core pieces of Japanese cuisine is dashi. It's, it's stock. And um, there's a lot of ways to make it, but, you know, usually the most common type is kombu kelp and katsuobushi, which is um, smoked, dried and aged skipjack tuna. Um, But another, you know, potential uh, source of dashi is shiitake mushrooms, uh, which have Mm -hmm. a ton of umami. Um, So, you know, using dried shiitakes to make a stock, a very flavorful stock is part of Japanese cuisine. And so I've always thought of shiitake mushrooms as something to turn to when I needed to add a boost of flavor. But to use the stock, it sort of limits what you can do with it because you have to first make a liquid and then you have to integrate that liquid into something. So, um, you know, I I don't remember exactly when I thought of it, but um, I've been doing it for years basically, which is to take uh, dried shiitake mushroom and grate it on a microplane to create a powder. Mm Um, and that's something that you can use in anything, um, that, you know, that's dry or wet.
1: Got it. And do you sometimes do it with, a um, with a spice grinder or coffee grinder as well? Or like that, that was kind of what drew me to this recipe was I've, I had seen things where you grind mushrooms into a powder, but I, it Uh never occurred to me that there was like a lower tech, more tactile solution like you have.
0: Yeah. I mean, these days I, I, if I'm, only using a little bit or I want to create like bigger flakes I'll use a microplane but um, if I'm just making a big batch uh, for something where I'm I'm going to be kneading it into a bread dough or something like that I'll usually use a, a spice grinder and just turn it into a powder it's a effort formula for me like if it's if it's a effort to mess I guess is the ratio but mm-hmm. um, you know if If I'm going to have to grate five uh, shiitakes on a microplane, that's going to take quite a while. So I'll probably just pull out the spice grinder. But if I'm just doing one, then I've got to clean the spice grinder afterwards. So Mm -hmm. I would rather just pull out the microplane and, and do it that way.
1: But how exactly is this quickly dispensed ingredient working such magic on salmon without needing to simmer or stew or even brown it? The answer is in our good friend in the kitchen, Umami but there's even more going on scientifically than that.
0: We actually have taste buds on our tongue, uh, just like we have ones to detect salt, sweet, sour, and bitter. There's a fifth one that uh, receives, uh, and we actually have several different types of taste receptors that can pick up uh, umami. And so um what is umami? Um, It's a bunch of different compounds. Uh, The most Prevalent one is is glutamic acid, glutamate, Um, you know, it may sound familiar from monosodium glutamate, MSG, which is uh, a synthesized form of glutamate. But it's one of the basic amino acids and, um, you know, our bodies need amino acids to survive. And so our taste buds are there to tell us, you know, we need to take salt to survive. We need to crave sweets, you know, back in the day because they were high in calories and it was a, um, a source of energy. Uh, we need to detect bitter because bitter compounds are typically toxic. Um, so it was a way of, you know, letting us avoid those things. Um, and, um, you know, in the case of umami, um, it's, uh, it, it, it tells us of the presence of protein, basically. So um, mm. amino acids are proteins that have degraded into their constituent parts, which are amino acids. Um, so there's a whole bunch of different amino acids. Some of them our bodies can produce, some of them they can't. Uh, In which case, you know, we need to take them in through dietary sources. And I think one of the reasons why humans, part of it is all, I think, is, is, you know, just genetically ingrained in our code to look for umami. But um, I also think a big part of it is, um, you know, breast milk or, you know, the sort of the first food infants eat, whether it's formula or breast milk, is filled with amino acids. It's a really, really high source of glutamate. And so that first thing that we put in our mouth when we're born is loaded with umami. Uh, and I think that's something that we end up, you know, craving for the rest of our lives.
1: Okay, I will never forget this. Breast milk has actually come up a lot in my research, and I'll tell you more about it sometime. But only in the context of how it aligns with our preferences for sweets. I did not know that it was as loaded with umami as a bag of Doritos, give or take. Okay, back to Mark on why mushrooms are even more magical than we thought.
0: Mushrooms in general have a ton of glutamates, but they also typically contain another compound called guanosine monophosphate, uh, which is actually a nucleic acid. It's, it's a little bit separate from an amino acid, but these te- taste receptors, um, they're kind of like a venous flytrap. And you know if you think about sort of the back part of the venous flytrap grabbing onto um, glutamate molecules, um, the front part can also glom on um, to GM- uh, guanosine monophosphate, GMP. Um, and when those two compounds enter our taste bud, it creates a synergistic reaction. It's kind of like one plus one equals 10. Uh, uh-huh. And it really amps up that taste of umami. And um, this is something that has been used uh, in Japanese cuisine for years. Um, people didn't know the science behind it necessarily, but um, you know, basically as far back as Japanese were making dashi, they're using kombu, which is loaded with glutamate and katsuobushi, which is the the fish that's loaded in a similar compound called IMP, (inosine monophosphate, uh, and combining those to create a synergistic relationship to make more umami or kombu, glutamate, and uh, shiitake mushrooms, GMP, to create that synergy. Um, And, you know, it was, I think, around 1906 that a Japanese chemist, um, Ikeda Kikunae, discovered uh, the compounds that were responsible for this, this taste.
1: And it doesn't end with shiitakes. This trick can work with lots of other dried mushrooms, right down to the stem. Porcini, matsutake, and maitake, and even button mushrooms are all rich with those umami compounds. Just avoid waterier mushrooms like king trumpet, which are a little bit wimpier in flavor and may not even come in a dried form for that reason. Early adopter of food blogging, Netflix, and the very concept of the internet, Mark is now working on something entirely new that might be the next big thing.
0: Sort of my latest passion is I'm working with um, an agritech company that's created this new growing technology that I think is going to really change the way food is grown. Um, it's, uh, it's a soilless technology, but it's not hydroponic or aeroponic or aquaponic. Um, those are technologies that are, are really interesting from a technological standpoint, but they don't look at the physiology of a plant, um, which, you know, sort of evolved growing in soil. Um, And so our technology really creates the conditions of growing in soil uh, where you develop a very healthy root system. And the roots are where plants absorb, you know, macronutrients and micronutrients into their leaves and into their fruit. Um, So if you don't have a healthy root system, you don't have a healthy plant. So, um, you know, what we like to often say is that, you know, hydroponic is kind of like putting a, a human on an IV drip. You can keep them alive, but just barely. Um, and, you know, our system really mimics soil-based growing, but it also has the benefits um, of hydroponic and that it uses a lot less water than, um, you know, sort of field irrigation. Um, you know, we're not disturbing uh, soil by tilling it. Um, and uh, we also have a much lower cost structure than uh, something like a hydroponic setup. So I'm super excited about it. Um, I think as climate change, uh, you know, sort of, makes it difficult to farm in traditional uh, agricultural regions. Uh, We're gonna need sort of new and innovative ways to produce produce. Obviously, if we're going to the moon or we're going to Mars, uh, we're gonna need new systems of growing um, that aren't resource intensive. And I I think this could potentially be it.
1: The other great thing about grading mushrooms is that you can control exactly how much you add. You might want less on a milder-tasting fish like sea bream or cod than you do on salmon. He even told me to try grating some into ice cream. You can see how that went in this week's Genius video on Food52. But here, I'll just say, try it. And do mix it in first so the umami has a chance to get in and play. And now, here are a couple more smart ways to season salmon from our listeners. When you're in between sacks of dried mushrooms.
2: Hello, my name is Adiba Amin, and I have a food blog called The Spice Odyssey. In Bengali cuisine, we have a really popular dish called Shorche Mach. The fish is gently poached in a spicy mustard paste, along with a lot of green chilies. This recipe works great with fishes that are high in omega 3 fatty acids, like salmon. The mustard really enhances the flavor of the salmon, and the end result is so comforting and satisfying. Hi, this is Reha.
0: We love our salmon up here in Seattle, and my favorite way to season it is with kamele Uh It's a Georgian spice blend that I first found at a local spice shop, and I usually use it just as a dry rub with some salt. Sometimes I'll also add a bit of freshness with some ginger, garlic, and lemon. Um, I love Kmele Suneli because it is a very fragrant mix. It still allows the fish to shine through, and it reminds me a lot of the variety of spices that I grew up with and still use pretty commonly in my Indian cooking. I hope you try it and enjoy.
1: Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Mark Matsumoto, founder of the long-running blog and YouTube channel No Recipes, where he shares the hows and whys of cooking, and yes, these days plenty of recipes too. Our show was put together by Coral Lee with support from Emily Hanhan. If you have a genius recipe to share from a hidden corner of the internet from 1999 or 2009 or 2021, I would always love to hear from you at geniusfood 52com And if you like the genius recipe tapes, do take a sec to rate us, leave a review, subscribe, maybe even blog about it. All of it helps us out. Talk to you soon.